This is The Guardian. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. First be third in the Premier League. As we all thought at the start of the season, that would be Arsenal versus Newcastle. Not necessarily gripping. There was some grappling, a very angry Arteta and no goals. The entertainment was elsewhere. Another chance for the chorus of boos at Goodison. Absolutely hammered by Brighton. Comical goals by the end. Perhaps Everton just are unmanageable. Liverpool aren't having the best time either. Just not good enough against Brentford. Real bright lights of West London vibes from them. And Fulham who beat Leicester while Manchester United's impressive run continues. Also today, a Fitbar corner, selfies in front of open caskets and changing stadium names with the click of your fingers. Just another day in the life of the man in charge of all football. Enzo Fernandez and everyone else to Chelsea. Sol Campbell's public request for an MBE and absolutely no mention of the Sheffield Wednesday Cambridge score. All that plus your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Troy Townsend, hello. Hello, Max. Hello, Ed Aarons. Hello, Max. And hello, Barry Glendenning. Hello, Max Rushton. Um, uh, let's start the Emirates, shall we? Arsenal nil, Newcastle nil. Some contention in the Football Weekly production office. As I quite enjoyed this, producer Joel thought it was terrible, said the darts was a lot more exciting, which, to be fair, it was. It is at the top of the running order because it's first to be third. But, Barry, is that a mistake? I don't think it really matters where it is in the running order. I suppose the, the prominence of the fixture means it should be. I would agree with Joel in that... I was slightly uh, miffed at having to watch this because I wanted to go to the pub and watch the darts with my friends. Instead, I stayed home because I'm good like that. And then the game wasn't as good as I'd hoped it would be. Um, but did get to see the business end of the darts at the final whistle, so that's all right, Inc- including the greatest leg in the history of the sport. I think Newcastle deserve a lot of credit for their performance. They... You know, they, they, Arsenal didn't have many chances, didn't play as well as they could have. I suppose Eddie and Ketia had arguably the chance of the game, although Newcastle fans might say Joe Linton should have scored when he headed wide at the far post uh, from a corner. I think Mikel Arteta was very angry afterwards. He said Arsenal should have had two penalties. I think they probably should have had one for the Dan Byrne shirt pull on Gabriel at the free kick. Uh the, the Jacob Murphy handball, I think, you know, Jacob Murphy's got to put his hands somewhere when he's sliding in t- to block a, a cross. I think that would have been very, very harsh if it had been given. But I wouldn't have been hugely surprised had it been given because that's where we are with the handball law these days. But, um, yeah, I think both sides deserve a point and it's a better point for Newcastle than it is for Arsenal. Yeah, actually, when when that sort of handball, not handball happened, Troy, I thought, oh, no. 
he's going to give that and he absolutely shouldn't. I mean, Arteta went completely mad. I, I, I hate to sound like Richard Keyes. I mean, I guess even a stopped clock is, is right twice a day, isn't it? But I'm getting increasingly, I'm finding Arteta so annoying at the moment. I don't know if that's just because Arsenal are doing incredibly well, but there were some sort of more sensible voices on social media saying, this is how annoyed Arteta's getting now. He needs to sort of rein it in if Arsenal are going to maintain this title push. I don't know if that is true or not. Yeah, I, I get that, Max. I mean, he's been annoying for a pretty long while, to be totally honest. So um, to start the new year in this way, in the first game under pressure almost, as Newcastle did what they came to do, you know, you've got to give them a lot of credit. Um, you know, they, they've shut them out. Is it 30 plus games the last time they were shut out? And it was Newcastle that did that last time as well. So he obviously has a problem with Newcastle United. But it was it was a great result. And, and Arteta's got to realise that, that teams are going to now increasingly more. And I know Newcastle are probably one of the best, uh, you know, defensive team to do it. But they're going to come there and they're going to stifle. And they're going to stop them from playing. And they're going to try and stop them from scoring. And that's the art of football for, for a lot of these teams. And if that's the way that he's going to address it for from the start of January, then the pressure's going to pile on a lot more because what he's showing his players is that he's not able to handle it whilst the players are trying to do their stuff on the field of play. So, yeah, he needs to be able to, to handle it a lot better. Um, I don't think it was a handball, although I do think once you cannot see... Once Dan Byrne puts his hand on the shoulder and, and wraps the shirt around the chest, that kind of indicates that he's doing something wrong. And if you're not picking that up in, you know, during the game or, or on VAR, then again, you've got to wonder what we're doing here, haven't you? But it is what it is. And as they say, they'll all come round again and, and, and Arsenal will get one in their benefit, no doubt, later on in the season. Ed, before Arsenal fans yell at me for saying Arteta is annoying, I did have a think and then go, well... Does he have to rent in? Because Pep is really annoying and City are quite successful. The Klopp can be really annoying and like Conte is infuriatingly annoying. And I couldn't, I was actually trying to think of if there is a manager who doesn't annoy me. I thought perhaps Ten Hag and maybe it's just too early in his tenure. But I don't know if, if, if I think all, perhaps all top managers are incredibly annoying. Yeah, I think it's just the, uh, the, the, the fine margins between success and failure, isn't it? And the pressure that is on them is, is absolutely immense. As well, and you, you, yeah, I mean, Arteta was quite a cool customer when he first came in, wasn't he? He was, you know, quite considered, and and he, and he, and he still is before the game. But it's just the last few weeks, I think, that the pressure's been uh, ratcheting up for Arsenal. But I think, yeah, that is quite a, that is quite a good point. He, it's important for him to stay calm because it's a young team. Um, you know, they need to keep riding the crest of this wave that they're on for as long as possible, and. That game last night, I mean, it, it's not the end of the run, you know, it's, the, it's, it's not a disaster for them. But the, the, the way they react to that now is is, is really important, I think, because, um, you know, obviously they've, they've been scoring so many goals and to, to be shut out like that um, against a very good defence, obviously. That, um, that, you've seen that stat that Newcastle conceded more goals in last December than they, than they have uh, all season. 11 goals in 18 games is a phenomenal, phenomenal effort. But yeah, for Arsenal, they need to um, uh, just get back on the horse as quickly as possible here. And Arteta is going to be key to making sure that they're in the right frame of mind for that. And actually, they've got they've got quite an interesting run now, Barry, haven't they? Spurs, which feels like an absolute shoot to me. <laughs> Manchester United are on form. Everton, Brentford, Man City in the next five. It feels like, you know, because what, what Nedim was saying in the last part, you know, they just keep winning games. It's not just 
This is the first points they've dropped for so long, you know. It'll be really interesting to see how they react. Yeah, well, the longer the season goes on, every game is big. Every, you know, it's either against uh, serious opposition or it's a potential banana skin. So, uh, I suppose last night's was home against Newcastle. It was a bit of both because Newcastle, you got to say, they are serious top four contenders, definitely, if not title contenders um the big test to be against manchester city that's the one i want to see how how will they get on against man city and that that will tell us a lot you also think max that if eddie nketia wants to be the man and he, he's going to be the man until obviously jesus comes back or potentially they make those signings that they're hoping to do he's got to finish that he's got to finish that chance People will say it's a great save from Pope and Pope will take that. But, you know, I know it's a snap chance. I know the potential of of, of it going anywhere. But if he wants to be seen as the main man, for me, he has to put that away. And that gives Arsenal a 1-0 victory. And I didn't think that. But then I thought it's exactly the sort of thing that Gabriel Jesus would do is not <laughs> score that chance. And he is the guy that he's covering for, you know. I think you're both being a little bit harsh, actually, because... I know when he did miss the chance, I mean, his touch was superb. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not sure what else he could have done, where else he should have shot. And I, I do think Nick Pope, it was a brilliant save, but Nick Pope maybe got a little bit lucky. But uh, I, I'm I'm not sure what else Nketiah could have done. I think those are the fine lines, though, Barry. I think those are the, you know, if you're going to be deemed as, as you know, a, a great centre forward, you finish those chances, we talk about it afterwards. Or, you know, it, this guy, Eddie Nketiah, has done so well, but he's looking to be the main man. And it's those kind of moments that make you that that individual. And, and I get what you're saying. You know, I'm not sure. It, maybe he couldn't have done anything else. Maybe I'm being harsh. Um, and Arsenal fans know that I can be harsh against them. But for me, it's just one of those. If if you are looking to be the main man, then that goes in the back of the net. Um, and we talk about everything else afterwards because Arteta doesn't blow up then and he's running down the touchline and all the good things that Arsenal fans want us to talk about, we would have spoken about today, wouldn't we? Barney Ronnie wrote a, a piece, good piece, Ed, about big Dan Byrne energy. It was actually quite interesting to see him and Joe Linton, who is not quite as big as him, versus... Bukayo Saka, and they actually did a really good job there. Yeah, they did. And, and it's, it's some some of the players in Newcastle's team that they're managed, managing to mould into this side, which is challenging for the, the top four or even the title, potentially, is is amazing. Because, you know, Dan Byrne, most people would have thought uh, that, he, you know, he was just a sort of stopgap signing, you know, versatile player. Um, but... Really, he's he's been one of their outs, outstanding players this season, and and that that defensive unit especially has been outstanding. Uh, Trippier, Fabian Shaw, and Sven Botman, uh, it's an, a really strong unit. And um, yeah, I mean, and, and and then you mentioned Joe Linton as well. Obviously, the converted from a uh, player from a centre forward, and and has given them so much fight in the centre of the pitch. Um, and Newcastle just. Newcastle fans look like they're having the time of their lives, didn't they, last night? Especially that bloke with the, with his shirt off yes. behind the goal. I mean, they, Sky Sports were obsessed with him. Neil does say, what is Barry doing in with the Newcastle fans? It did look like a, a bit like a young Barry Glendenning, um, you know. I, I don't know, you, you, look, you look aghast there, Barry. 
Yeah, I do look a guy. Just a man, a man with glasses, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I suspect if I was in with Newcastle fans, I wouldn't last too long. <laughs> You're probably right. Um, I'm just interesting you say that about Dan Byrne, because I think if you ask Dan Byrne, he'd probably admit that he prob- he thought he was only going to be a stopgap, but he wanted to play for Newcastle so badly that he was happy to go there, and, and he's you know, really cemented his place in the side and, and is doing very well for them. But, um, yeah, I take grave exception to any comparisons between me and that uh, happy topless Geordie. Joe says, thoughts on delaying the pod until either Lampard or Rogers are sacked, or perhaps both of them. Um, Simon says, how far into the recording will he be when Frank Lampard gets the bullet? Can we get Mrs Rushton's reaction to the news? Let's go to Goodison then. Everton won Brighton 4 um, Johnny Sharples did a brilliant tweet, you know, where you mock up the Google search. Long, loudest recorded sound. The loudest sound in recorded history came at the full-time whistle following Everton's defeat to Brighton Hove Albion on January the 3rd, 2023. The chorus of boos from the home supporter reached 320 decibels, brackets DB, and could be heard as far away as Port Moresby in Papua New Guinea. Um, Troy, I hate to come to you first. <laughs> I know you don't like to be on a pod after everything got hammered, but this was this was really disappointing uh, evening's work from Frank Lampard, wasn't it? You, uh, you say disappointing. Honestly, it was obviously my second screen. They started well. This is the worst thing about it is that, you know, after the Man City draw, however they got that draw, and I looked at the lineup and I was a bit confused because Ben Godfrey, who was outstanding against Man City and obviously against Haaland and, and there was a great battle going on there, was sitting on the bench uh, uh, and I couldn't understand it. You know, a lad has his best game for a really long time and deals with the, the most prolific goal scorer that we have in the country at the moment. And the very next game, he's sitting on the bench. And I get it, Connor Cody, he wanted to revert back to a four and Cody and, and Talkowski looked, you know, have looked decent. But they looked their age last night. <laughs> they looked their age alongside a lot of other Everton uh, players as well. Um, because after Brighton weathered the, the mini storm, whatever it may have been, um, they were out. Brighton were outstanding. They were just absolutely outstanding. Two players to, to look out for. Matoma, um, you know, who, I don't know, was playing uni football, someone said. I think I saw someone said playing uni football three years ago. Um, cost them nearly three mil. Um, an outstanding, outstanding individual. Um, their scouting system has been amazing to pick him up. Um, great goal, great energy. Um, led Patterson all over the park. And then young Evan Ferguson, 18 years of age, got his first goal against Arsenal and looked every bit like a number nine last night. And, you know, Talkowski and, and Cody couldn't handle him just couldn't handle him. And from there, it, it, it went downhill. I'm really keen to understand Frank Lampard's halftime talk because you would have thought that he would have got them in, built them up with a lot of energy and, and told them to go out there and give the fans exactly what they needed. Um, so 10 minutes later, it was 4-0 um, and the game <laughs> the game was done. I mean, he probably didn't say, he probably didn't say, let in three in the next 15 <laughs> well, minutes, lads, did you? I mean, you say Matoma was playing university football. God, imagine in the middle of Freshers' Week, if you're a right back and you come up against Matoma, it can't be a terrible time. Barry, have you now officially heard of, of Evan Ferguson, I, I, I presume? Yeah, I, I mean, he bypassed me completely, I must confess. But, uh, I mean, I did a, a cursory bit of research. He's born in Bettystown, 
in County Meath, which is, is just the one north of Dublin. Uh, his dad was a footballer uh, who spent a lot of his career in the League of Ireland, Barry Ferguson, not that Barry Ferguson. And uh, Evan is a product of St. Kevin's Boys in Dublin. Uh, made his debut for Bohemians in a, a friendly against Chelsea. I think he only made a couple of appearances for Bowles. And then uh, Brighton and Liverpool were, were duking it out to secure his scrawl, and, and Brighton won. But yeah, he's been there for over a year, and he's a very, he seems a very humble young man. He, I saw his post-match interview. It's interesting as well. He also has a cautionary tale, I think, at Brighton, because the last Irish youngster we saw burst onto the scene, as it were, was um, Aaron Connolly, who's sort of sunk without trace since he's, he, I think he's about to end a disastrous loan spell in Italy and uh, I think Lemur Senior wants him to sign him on loan at Hull but his, his after, was it, I think it was against Spurs he scored a couple on, on his debut and there was very high hopes for him but his career hasn't progressed for whatever reasons hopefully Evan Ferguson's will Ben says James Tarkovsky ended up sprawled on the grass for each of Brighton's four goals. This somehow feels elite, but I'm not sure how or why. Is there a similar performance of gallant failure the pod can recall? And James says, is Brighton's fourth goal one of the funniest you've ever seen, including an Everton defender falling over Pickford long after the ball is gone? I mean, the fourth goal, Ed, is ridiculous, isn't it? It's not just the the, the back pass, which is so bad. <laughs> it's just a through ball. It's, you say it's not just the back pass, but it, and you're right, it isn't. But the back pass <laughs> is just... <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it. And, it, and, and I, had to, I had to rub my eyes that that was Garner Gay that did that as well. Like it was the angles were so wrong. I, I, I had to, I've had to watch it quite a few times to try and work out what he was trying <laughs> nah, to do. It's not towards Pickford. No, in any it's sense, not. Is it? And then, yeah, like you say, there's just a, a, a calamity of errors afterwards. It's all the, it's like Keystone Cops, wasn't it? All the Everton defenders trying to catch up with him. Ed, did you see the fact that he he had time to run round the ball to make sure that he got it on his his stronger foot? to then pass the weakest <laughs> pass back. Yeah, it was almost like he ran out of energy halfway yeah. through the pass and just, ah, oh, oh, never mind. And then proceeded to, what I like about it is, the well, I say like, I don't like it at all, but the fact that it's obviously his fault. You can tell, anyone can tell. And then he's arguing with Pickford as if, well, you weren't in the right position and you should have come up a little bit. And the two of them are arguing as as, as Brighton running away, like, thanks for the for the late present kind of thing. It, it's, it's, it was crazy. Tarkovsky just sliding through on the floor <laughs> at the end. Yeah, it's perfect. I think my favourite bit was the third goal where Solly March picked up a pass from Ferguson and sort of edged across the, the face of the penalty area. And I think Tarkovsky thought he was going to shoot, so just dived. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Just flung himself <laughs> to the ground and marched a ball on his foot and then just shot into the bottom corner. Because I like I, the note I took was what was Tarkowski doing? But you could have made that note on each of the four goals. I mean, it was a calamitous performance from Everton. You can imagine what it's like in Everton training, can't you? They're all just launching themselves at the ball every time there's a shot. It's like on a trampoline or something. <laughs> <laughs> or even a rondo. It's like no one's passing the ball. They're all just diving at the ball. Um, so what, what do we think about Lampard's future then? Um, Troy, you're the man 
well, you have a man on the inside. Um, you know, what's what's the mood there? We won't tell anybody. <laughs> or, or, or genuinely, are we putting you in a difficult position asking you these questions? You're not putting me in a difficult position because it's clear and obvious that if you don't win football matches, you, you, you're under pressure. I think it's one win in 10. You look at it last night and you think to yourself, they would have taken 4-0 against Man City and a win last night. You would have taken a draw, Wolves, the 4-0 against Man City, because that's the expectation, and then a win last night, which would have given them four points out of nine, maybe six if they win both home games. They failed to do it. They've lost both home games. You're you're under pressure. Um, and if I think Frank said last night that he has belief in his confidence, to confidence in his in his his coaching ability that he'll turn it around. I'm not so sure. The only saving grace if it is a saving grace, which didn't save Rafa, so maybe it's not, is that we're in January. There may be uh, limited funds to spend or bring in a couple of loan signings that have not been great when they have brought them in um, to try and turn it around. But for me, this needs more than than two players. This needs tactical strategy because I didn't see how they approached last night's game, in what way that they were approaching the game, um, to prove that they can defensively be better than than the kamikaze what we saw last night. And like I said, Ben Godfrey, who I'm still waiting to find out if he was ill, if he was injured or he was just dropped because I just, I couldn't understand why he wasn't in that team last night. So the pressure comes from not getting the results, from the expectations of the fans, from the noise that you would have heard at the end of the game last night, as as they said, and the fact that they go into an away game on Friday night in the FA Cup against Manchester United. And it's touch and go whether he will be the manager for that game. Kieran Maguire tweeting about Brighton. Their four goal scorers tonight, last night, cost 5.6 million between them. We've talked about Matoma. So it's spending it well rather than spending it big that counts. That's true. But also De Zerbi has almost, has he made Brighton better? I mean, maybe it's too soon to say it. But like, it feels like there's a sort of progression and, and building on everything that Graham Potter did, but actually making them more exciting and, and a, more of a goal threat. Definitely more of a goal threat and more exciting to watch. You know, um, I saw them uh, early on in his reign against um, against Brentford. Yeah, not not long before the break, and it was almost there. They they created loads of chances but lost, and Brentford only had a couple of shots and Tony scored both goals. But you could see, uh, I haven't watched Brighton quite a lot when Potter was there. You could see the difference. Yeah, much more much more aggressive in attack and quicker with the ball. Um, you know, trying to make make uh, break make breaks and, and get in behind teams rather than you know continuously just pass it back and forward and and be more patient. But it's it's fantastic to see, especially Matoma, who is a real project for for Brighton. As you mentioned, you know, he's at, at university playing playing university football not that long ago, and they've really brought him through. Do we know who for? Like, was it Luff, was it Loughborough <laughs> once? I don't know. I think it was in Japan. But <laughs> all right, fair enough. Yeah, um, but and in fact, if you look throughout Brighton's Brighton's team, you know that there are lots of players that they've had long-term plans for. Somebody like Solly March, obviously, has been there for many, many years, but really sort of coming to coming to the fore now and and holding down a position in that system. Uh, and, and it's you have to admire the way that they they plan these players' careers for them. Like for another one who who did really well last night came back from the World Cup. Um, having been injured a bit, I think it's Caicedo, who everybody's talking about now. Everybody's looking at him. Um, but the way that they've planned his career from, you know, signing him as a teenager and then taking their time with him, every, you know, 
dripping him into the team. And now, once um, Basuma left, he was ready to, to step up and, and take his position. But it's real credit to the people behind the scenes there that they're, that they're in this position. The University of Tsukuba um, until 2019. If anyone has any knowledge of, of that side, please let us know. FootballWeeklyAtTheGuardian.com. That'll do for part one. Part two will begin at Brentford. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Let's give Troy a break then from talking about Everton. Matt says, could you ask Troy if Brentford are still getting relegated? Um, I don't know if you said that the last time, did you? No, no. yes, I know, I know. <laughs> but listen, I went to Brentford-Everton in the early part of the season and I told the board members at Brentford that they were in my bottom three. Wow. But after watching the game, I did say, and they were obviously, they then moved me to another table and, and kind of, yeah, didn't want me around. But I did say that after watching that game, I retract that statement if I'm allowed to. Uh, because of what I saw on that day and the energy and just the whole makeup of the team on the pitch and how Thomas Franks get them. I knew very early that I'd made a, 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 a massive error in where I placed Brentford Football Club. Um, I didn't feel like a surprise, this result, Barry. I expected Liverpool to win going into the game, I have to say, despite the fact that they'd been fairly unimpressive over the festive period. But uh, they were shocking in this game. Brentford were well worth their win. Uh, could conceivably have won by more. Uh, Johan Wissa had, you know, the ball in the net three times, only got one goal, and and the two that were ruled out were correctly ruled out. But um, this was a hugely enjoyable match, and Liverpool lost fair and square. Jurgen Klopp obviously accepted the defeat with his usual magnanimity magnanimity and good grace in his post-match interview. I like Jürgen, but he's a very, very sore loser. <laughs> and maybe that's why he's so successful. But I think um, Liverpool, you know, my sort of outrageous prediction before the season was that Liverpool would not finish in the top four. And, and I, the more I see of them, the less outrageous a prediction I think it was. Um, did they... They they deserve to lose this game. Um, Brentford were absolutely superb, and uh, their celebrations after the game it was just a real, really enjoyable evening. And I'd love to have been there. Yeah, actually, on that celebration, it's interesting, isn't it? When you people sort of decide if you're allowed to celebrate after a win or not, and it was like it sort of had an end of season feel, like we've won the playoffs. You know, when Wissers, you know, like basically conducting freed from desire, and I actually felt like. It found like a noisy place I would like to be, which is so rare for me. Oh, yeah, it's brilliant at Brentford. If you've ever had the chance to go, especially you know, especially when they win, they, they really create a, an atmosphere. And it's the first time they've beaten Liverpool since 1938. So I think they're allowed to celebrate that. You know, 
fantastic. I just wanted to mention well, you mentioned Wissa, um, who's really underrated, I think, and do, always does a job for them when he comes in. Scored loads of loads of winning goals off the bench uh, since he's been there. But also Brian and Buemo because he is absolute class. I mean, a lot of people talk about Tony and he's he's brilliant, scoring a lot of goals for them. But and Buemo makes so much happen for Brentford in that formation because they play three quite solid centre mids normally and, and and three at the back a lot of the time. But the two up front and um, and Buemo especially creating the space trickery that he has is. Phenomenal player, and um, I think a little bit underrated, actually. Yeah, I actually thought because Tony wasn't playing that 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 would be, you know, a big deal for Brentford because he's clearly so good. But you're right, Wemo made a big difference. There was some controversy about that that third goal. I mean, it didn't look like a foul to me. Look, Canate just sort of fell over Troy. If you're a centre back of any credibility, <laughs> you're not tumbling over after a slight nudge in the back like that. It's not like he was going at full pace. Um, it's not like he was off balance. Um, you protect the ball, you bring it back to Allison, and then you try and score an equaliser up the other end. Um, just I, I thought at that time Liverpool had just almost given up. It's almost their energy that they had um, when they came out for the second half and, and obviously got the early goal and the, the Nunez one disallowed um, or chalked off. Um, all that energy had gone by then and... and to Brentford's credit, I, I was like you, Max. You know, you, you take Ivan Tony out of the team and you wonder where they're going to get their goals from because of how important he is in the way that they play. But again, massive credit to Thomas Frank because, you know, he's set up in a way that Ivan losing Ivan wasn't going to be a problem. Um, and, you know, by scoring so many goals and having a couple um, chalked off, they proved it. And to right, celebrate. Celebrate all these moments as much as you can. I don't think it will please Roy Keane, but we're not here to please Roy Keane. They're there to win football matches and to prove to their fans that there is an established Premier League team, and they've done that. I think um, Ivan Tony has until today, today being Wednesday, to respond to the allegations of, uh, or the FA allegations or investigation about the betting charges. So there's a very good chance that Brentford might have to get used to life without him for for quite a while because I'd say if he is found guilty um, looking at a hefty ban so do they stick with what they have uh, if he if he does end up on an naughty step for a, a few months or do, are they going, will they sign someone in the window it'll be interesting to see something um, Ed quite funny about Darwin Nunes finally finishing one beautifully <laughs> and it being chalked off yeah, like I'm sure there's a lot of people in the, in the same boat have gone for him in my fantasy team the last few weeks and just continues. Every time I look up, he seems to miss a chance or score and you think, oh, it's going to be, oh, good, he's finally scored and then it gets dis- disallowed. Somebody cruelly put together a compilation of his <laughs> all of his misses this season. Which, and I started watching it thinking, oh, who's this arsehole? Who's made this? What, you know, you don't understand what it's like being for oh, but then I watched some of them, and then really, oh my goodness, there's been some some really terrible misses this season. That's not to write him off off as a as a striker. I'm sure he is good. Uh, and around the box, he looks really good, like sort of very alive and a real handful if you were marking him. But yeah, just that the final touch is not it's not happening for him at the moment. I don't know whether he needs to have a few lessons from Mo in training or something. But yeah, it's. Uh, a bit of a worry for, for Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel 
much like I felt about Timo Werner, it will come good for him. The buckets, the buckets <laughs> will happen. Um, yeah, actually, Ben Mee did a block one brilliantly off the line. The pass from Salah to to Nunes for the for that one that Ben Mee cleared was so good, wasn't it? It would have been a beautiful goal. Um, but like Ben Mee is being absolutely brilliant for Brentford, isn't he? That was um, Trent's first assist in the Premier League this season, which sort of feels very counterintuitive to me. I mean, I was just. You know, the obsession with Trent Alexander-Arnold, that was a lovely cross. but And it was with his left foot, which is quite uncommon. Yeah, correct. It was. And uh, yeah, it was lovely, wasn't it? And um, listener Robin Cowan said, please tell me you saw Sergi Canos's mullet when he came on for Brentford. Yeah, it's really solid. It's got, you know, because they were sort of, you can have the kind of wispy mullet, but this is, there's real body to that mullet. It's utterly joyous. Uh, let's go to the King Power. Leicester nil Fulham won. Uh, tweet from friend of the pod, Ed Aarons. Fulham have already matched their total of 28 points from 2020-21. Surpassed the 26 they got in 18-19 up to less than half the season. Incredible. It is incredible, Ed, isn't it? It is. And and the thing that I didn't put in that tweet was that so many of the players that were in perhaps, maybe even both of those teams, but definitely the last one, are in this team. And and they've managed to completely transform it. And I think, yeah, I mean, mainly Marco Silva talking about Everton fans. I saw a lot of Everton fans reacting to to that, you know, with a um, perhaps wondering what might have been because um, he's he's really good. Uh, I think a lot of people wrote him off um, at Everton after that and thought, and, and at Hull, I think he was out as well, wasn't he? Yeah, but wasn't he bad at Everton? I mean, like, he wasn't good at Everton, was he? I remember him just looking sort of sorrowful. Yeah. Maybe. But it just went the way that everything, all the managers go at Everton. It's just, you know, reasonable start and then <laughs> disaster. But yeah, I think he he has to take the most credit, but also the players because they're they're stepping up. People like Harrison Reed always springs to mind actually because I can personally completely written him off as a Premier League player, but really he's the driving force and and uh, along with Palinia is one of the one of the best midfields around at the moment actually, um, and uh, they're, they're absolutely loving it. And the thing about Fulham is that they have a very defined system. Everybody knows exactly what they're doing. And it works really well most of the time. Against Southampton, I saw them uh, last week and they weren't very good, but they still managed to win that game. And it just shows you that, you know, that they're, they're really pulling in the same direction. Troy, you were talking about sort of elite centre-forward play. And actually that touch and finish from Mitrovic is that, isn't it? Yeah, you're coming to me, Max. And guess what? I fell asleep during the uh, Fulham game. So I can't even talk about the finish because I didn't even watch it this morning. All right. And did you... You were late for this. Is that was that you over? Did you oversleep? Is this a? Are we in a Marcus Ratchford situation, <laughs> situation here? I haven't been too well, so please give me a blight just for today, oh. please. Yeah, I've I've been ill for two weeks and I was on time, <laughs> and I was doing the night shift. Troy, come on. <laughs> I, I'm 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 jet lagged and have a jet lagged baby, so come on, Troy. Okay, all right. I fell asleep, I fell asleep last night. I didn't actually see the the Mitrovic goal. No other excuses at all. I'm perfectly fine. I'll take the Mitrovic question and I will send it to Barry. Yeah, um, it was a, a a very good finish from a very good centre forward. Uh, the the pass from Willian was was excellent. Uh, Mitrovic took it down to his touch and dispatched it past Danny Ward with a minimum of fuss. I mean, there's talk that Brendan Rodgers is under pressure, and I get that completely, but I actually thought Leicester were the better team in this game. Uh, they had more chances and just couldn't get the ball in the back of the net, but it's a good win for Fulham, and, and uh, Leicester are not having a good season. I, I've noticed Iose Perez 
in the Leicester ranks the last couple of games. Has he been injured or away or somewhere? Because I'd completely <laughs> forgotten he was a Leicester player. I, I, I want to check and I want to check and find out he's played oh, he every minute every has. game. But I, um, I, yeah, I, I noticed that as it goes. Well, I thought he'd been banished or yeah, had been injured for a long time. But you're right, Barry. He popped up last week. And I was like, oh, Perez is still around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm glad that I haven't come out with some something really stupid there. A, a listener once stopped me in stopped me in the street about three years ago. Was it just after he'd signed and said and made me a bet that. Iose Perez, and this is the first thing he said was basically, I bet you Iose Perez scores 30 goals this season or 20. This is a strange thing as a sort of opening gambit, but that's eight Premier League games this season. So I'd, I don't know if you're right or wrong, Barry, but I mean, none of us could tell you. So he hasn't he hasn't done that much. Uh, Man United 3, Bournemouth 0. Um, sort of look, it's, they look seamless, Ed, Manchester United at the moment. Yeah, what could go wrong? What could go wrong? No, I think, <laughs> I, I think Tim Hogg is. Well, you don't want to jinx it, but uh, well, for Man United fans anyway. But um, he looks like he <laughs> he knows what he's doing, and even even the you know when he has to uh, make a big call, like well, I suppose it wasn't such a big call because he has rules, and with Rashford he transgressed, and so he had to drop him. But then you know even in that situation, it all comes up smelling of roses because he brings him off the bench and scores a goal. So um, yeah, it's it, good good times for United, even though they haven't got a striker. So you just think, you know, what what could happen if they they found someone to? Is is that a bit harsh though, Ed? I mean, there's a guy standing there with the number nine on his back that has been there for a. Well, yeah, no, no. <laughs> fair enough. No, Martial is, is also a striker, but you know what I mean. A, a top, a, I think Martial is a good player, but you just can't rely you can't rely on him consistently. So with somebody else along, uh, it's a choose one. Maybe to fight for the position would, would be better. But you know, absolutely. Um, yeah, I don't want to do him, Martial, because he is he is a good player, and when he when he's on form, he's he's really good. And actually, that um, just the way they move at the moment, like just seeing Luke Shaw just kind of like take the ball, lay it off, and run into the middle, just seems so unlike anything I've seen Man United do for the last I don't know. How long has it been? Nine years, Troy? <laughs> no, but uh, you know what? It, it's a great goal, and I don't think it's been given enough credit because when you start, almost start and finish a move, particularly when you're, you know, deep in your own half, have played centre-back the last couple of games. Luke Shaw almost played like, I know the gaffer wants me to play centre-back, but guess what? I'm just going to show him how I can play left-back and, and get up the other end of the pit. Great goal. Great energy from Luke Shaw, which I think we haven't seen for quite a while. Um confidence seems to be flowing all around the place and before they come up to their bigger tests that's all you can do is build confidence in games they've got one of the world world's best center midfielders in Casemiro who's adding you know just added a, a great goal after that um Ericsson uh, free kick everything looks shiny but I suppose it will be when the test the big tests come and you know the Arsenal's and the Man City's are, are what they do in those games. They've had a great record since the last Man City game, since the battering, but they've got to have to prove it again. And I think those will be the games where um, people will look at them and say, "How far has Ten Hag taken this team?" Yeah, Casemiro scoring again. You know, he was just being held back, wasn't he, at Real Madrid, <laughs> winning all those Champions Leagues um, tonight? Then um, uh, we'll do a pod tomorrow, so we don't need to spend too much time. But you. You quietly confident about Palace against Spurs, Ed, or are you loudly? I mean, I'd be loudly confident if I were you. Well, it's a bit of a Palace of having a strange old season, sort of winning, winning one, losing one. 
Uh, I'm still scarred, <laughs> scarred by my experience on Boxing Day when Palace was absolutely awful. I don't think I've seen them play that badly for many, many years. So, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a good chance. I th- we haven't had a great record against Spurs um, over recent years. I mean, Harry Kane tends to score uh, against Palace, but the the home fans definitely are in in need of a bit of a lift after the other day because uh, so are the away fans, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So could it could end up being a bit of a toxic atmosphere if it's uh, you know it doesn't go the, the right way? Yeah, Troy, you have some sort of sp- you know Spurs affinity. I don't know how you feel about Conte. I mean, I just. The more I watch it, the more I think I'm just it's I might as well just stuck with Mourinho. I mean it sounds ridiculous, but and I know there's a lot of the season to go and they're not they're not miles off, but I, I just see all these other teams. I see Fulham and and you know, just playing like Absolutely having like nice moves. Yeah. Like like move the ball quickly and like players running into space and like it just they feel like the only team in the Premier League that don't do that at all. Well, it's, it's interesting because when they were picking up results at the start of the season, we were all saying they're not playing great, but they'll start to play well and will they still pick up results? Well, they haven't started to play well. They keep conceding goals. Um, a lot of those games they've managed to turn around, but you can't continue to do that. And you look at some of the players, there's still some of the existing players from Pochettino, although there has been a lot of change um, but those players are not being moulded into anything. I don't see a, a, a style or a pattern about Spurs that 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 obviously would give the fans a lot of hope for the future. And, and we keep bordering on this Willy won't he with Conte. And it, I mean, he's not the most happiest of men. Well, he, he is sometimes. When they score goals, he is. But he, he just doesn't come across as the most happiest of people at the moment and that's got to be a battle with the board and that's got to be a battle about how much money he's going to get again in January and what's interesting for me is that fans are saying oh you know you give him more money give him more money but yet before he had money it was well we need three or four transfer windows to to get the squad and the team into anything kind of remotely like a challenging side and yeah they made Champions League football but how much have Spurs progressed you look at Hyung-Ming Sung who looks a shadow of 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 anything that he's done previously, and I don't know that they're just, it's almost like can they rip the book up again and start again, or do they just give Conte what he requires and says to him, "Listen, you've got to build this team from now on in." Uh, I I don't know because that's not really Levy's style and the amount of signings that they 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 made in the summer. Um, I think everyone was getting a little bit maybe too above themselves. Um, yeah. Well, I hope this ages very badly, Troy, for, for both of our sakes. Um, uh, Nottingham Forest will investigate alleged homophobic chanting heard during Sunday's Premier League game against Chelsea. Um, they are, quote, aware of reports of concerning chants. Chelsea's official LGBTQ plus supporters group said, we totally condemn the chant, adding it is time to call this out. We all know what the chant is by now. Uh, in January 2022, the CPS classed the chant as a homophobic slur. That means anyone singing it is committing a hate crime, could face prosecution. Forrest said they do not condone any type of discriminatory or offensive behaviour. The Forrest LGBTQ plus group. Tricky's offered an apology to their counterpart, Chelsea Pride, calling on the local police and their club to act. We're embarrassed and ashamed, uh, the Forrest group said. That'll do for part two. Part three will begin with a tiny Fitbar corner. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, 
offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, Barry is now well enough to watch Scottish football. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how, how was the old firm? Yeah, I quite enjoyed it, actually. It was um, played on... God, I've still not got my days right. Was it the 2nd of January? Yes. And uh, it was the anniversary of the Ibrox disaster uh, from 1971. So it's 51 years ago. So there was a pre-match memorial thing for that and a minute silence which could have been observed better you'd have to say the game was at Ibrox so uh, a very small minority of Celtic fans disgraced themselves by barracking the, the minute silence for the victims of that uh, crush and the game itself you'd have to say Rangers threw it away so Celtic have only lost one game this season against St Mirren uh, away and Rangers were going into this game uh, on the back of five consecutive wins under Michael Beale, who's you know started well since moving from uh, QPR, Rangers were trying to close the gap. So the gap is nine points, and you just thought anything less than a Rangers win would would leave Celtic more or less title winners. Uh, and Rangers got off to the worst possible start by gifting them the opener with a courtesy of a dreadful Alfredo Morales pass in midfield, which Maeda pounced on, took the ball past two players and shot past Alan McGregor. Morales tried and failed to make up for his error by missing a couple of good chances with headers from corners. And in the second half, Rangers came out pretty transformed. Um, Ryan Kent scored a good equaliser. And then Fashion Sakala, who was a menace uh, throughout the game, for Celtic or for Rangers he was brought down by Carl Starfelt and uh, James Severnier put Rangers ahead with a brilliantly taken penalty uh, and then they conceded a really really sloppy equaliser with about five or six minutes to go when they had two or three good opportunities to clear the ball from their own penalty area failed to do so and uh, Kyogo got a breaking ball and, and rifled it home from six or seven yards. So Rangers should have won, didn't win, and you'd imagine that's that because Celtic are still nine points clear of them in the table and they're not going to get pegged back on barring an absolute calamitous collapse, you'd imagine. But it was it was quite an enjoyable game. Oh, good. Um, and well done for being uh, well again, Barry. Alan says, is it true that Chelsea are in to buy the pod in January they might as well. They're buying everything else. Um, uh, Enzo Fernandez uh, talks of continuing with Benfica about signing him. He's got a release cost of £106 million. Um, 
Um, he only joined from River Plate six months ago. Uh, if Chelsea agreed to that, it would eclipse the existing record fee of 98 million paid for Lukaku, that, which went well, um, uh, and would add to the record total of about 270 million spent by the new ownership last summer. I mean, I mean, transfer fees, I don't know if they mean anything anymore, Ed. And Enzo Fernandez had a great World Cup, seems like a good player. I don't know if is he worth that the right question because maybe it doesn't, that's not. We get obsessed with it, but it's just, you know, will he fit into the team and make them better? Well, I mean, it's important if you believe in sort of budgeting and yes. importance of money and like, you know. So I'm just so lavishly paid by the Guardian that 106 million means absolutely nothing to me. I even as I was saying it out loud, I thought it was a ridiculous question, but yes. It, is, it does seem a lot of money for him, but he's just been voted the young best young player in the world, effectively, you know, at the World Cup. Won the World Cup and he was brilliant. Um, but Chelsea it's just seemed very scattergun approach again. You know, it was a record that they spent in the summer, wasn't it? The most ever by any club and um, have since changed the manager. So obviously they want to back uh, the new manager. So, um, you know, it, let's see what happens because there's reports they're trying to get Mudrick as well now, which would really piss Arsenal fans off. But I, I really doubt that that will happen. I think that he'll probably end up going to Arsenal. But... Chelsea do need to sort their midfield out in long term because of Jorginho, obviously Kante both coming out of out of contract, and also Conor Gallagher who is, can't seem to find a um, a position in the team. And I think there's a few rumours about him going back to Palace maybe on loan, but it would be a shame for you know an England player that um, is very good, same age actually I think, or maybe slightly older than Enzo Fernandez. I'm not saying he's in the same class, but you know, it'd be a shame if, if a homegrown player like that, they couldn't find a place for him in the squad. And, you know, somebody like that is going is, is, is who is going to miss out if you bring in all these really expensive players. I mean, Mudrick keeps going on Instagram basically saying, I love Arsenal, sort of tweeting, you know, sending out pictures of Ian Wright and Dennis Bergkamp and Herbert Chapman. You know, it'd be hilarious if he didn't end up there uh, now, wouldn't it? Uh, elsewhere, Simon says, which stadium should we rename the Pelé Arena? FIFA apparently will ask every country in the world. I can't believe he can't be going through this. Surely he just said it without thinking. Uh, in honour of Pelé, uh, Infantino said on Monday, um, we're going to ask every country in the world to name one of their football stadiums with the name Pelé because football fans are so fine with just breaking tradition. So who are we going to get? What Liverpool fans say, sorry, it's not Anfield anymore, is it? Who are you going to say that to? Uh, sorry to sorry to Sheffield United, but. Bramall Lane's had its time now. We're just going to call it the Pele Arena. Um, he also took a selfie by an open casket. I mean, who wouldn't? Uh, he said, I'd like to clarify that I was both honoured and humbled that teammates and family members of the great Pele asked me if I could take a few photos with them. <sighs> uh, in the case of the selfie... Pele's teammates asked to do a selfie of all of us together, but they didn't know how to do it. So to be helpful, I took the phone off one of them and took the photo of all of us for him. So he's just an all-round good guy, Barry, doing good by everyone. Oh, he's an awful, awful man. Um, and, you know, we knew that anyway. I see, no, with interest, quite a lot of Brazilian footballers are coming in for a lot of stick for not attending... Pele's funeral, among them Kaka, uh, the original Ronaldo and Neymar. And I suppose in the case of Neymar, you would, you know, if it was his, if it was his birthday or carnival, he'd, he'd managed to <laughs> find the time to turn up. But um, it's interesting, I suppose. Uh, but 
yeah, it was it was quite the event that that funeral. Um, and one suspects Gianni Infantino. You know, there's a famous line in from Fraser, or not famous, but one that sticks in my mind where Niles Crane. There's there's this very exclusive play on uh, in Seattle, and Niles can't get a ticket or an invite to go and see it. And he says to Fraser, I must see this play. I must be seen seeing this play. And uh, yeah. one suspects that that's Gianni Infantino's attitude towards Pele's funeral. I must attend this funeral. I must be seen attending this funeral. Did um, did David Beckham make it? Was the queue not big enough, for not long <laughs> enough for, for Beckham to get there? Jim says, what reasons would you give to justify asking for an MBE yourself? Uh, this is with regards to a, a thread that Sol Campbell wrote, um, uh, which said, I've seen a lot of people get MBEs, OBEs, SIRs for services to sport. I will put down my reasons why. First is the 56 games without losing is a record. Second, invincible Arsenal team, 49 games without losing a record. Three, first black player to score in World Cup final for England. It's a typo, unless there's a World Cup final that I have forgotten about four first black captain to lift the cup at Wembley five first black English speaking player to score in the Champions League final six I played two decades over 500 games in the Premier League seven I stood up for racism in football at home and abroad eight only English player to play in six consecutive tournaments for England nine got to the World Cup best team in 98 and 02 the Euros team in 04 so at one stage I was pound for pound the best defender in the world how many Englishmen can say that Troy, I'm interested in your take on this. Is it possible to go? On, go on. Is it is it possible to is it impossible to is it possible to be faintly ridiculous, lack some humility, and also have a point? There are elements where he does have a point, and I've got to. I, I, I'm not saying I'm totally backing him because I wouldn't put a thread out on Twitter. That's for sure. Some of the stuff you're reading there, obviously, he meant finals, not final, and and some other little bits and pieces. And I don't know how the honest list gets worked out anymore. Um, and I, I do look at what previous sports people have done. So in our field, um, I wonder why they haven't been honoured and others have. But I, I mean, to go as far as to put a thread together and to list, I mean, he's probably the only person that knows all of those. Was it nine or ten points? But Listen, it, it, it's one of those things. I, I don't know why we get cut up a little bit about it anymore. It, 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 it's a, I mean, it is an honour to get one, but ultimately he's been overlooked so far and we'll have to continue his work in this space, fighting racism and everything else. Um, notice that he hasn't put any notes down about his managerial record there, which might have gone against him. Um, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things. I, I, I don't get too cut up about it, but obviously... Someone has rolled up soul enough to know that um, you know you should be on there, and I'm not. I'm, I'm sure everyone's aware that you have to be nominated first and foremost. Um, so it has to be a nomination. So actually, soul shouldn't. Has he done that to raise awareness so that someone nominates him next time around? Um, who who knows? Who knows? Have you have you got one, Troy? I mean, I should know this. Have you got one yet? No, no, I haven't. I'm sitting here just writing my list now. I'm down to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, would would you like me to nominate you, Troy? Barry, that would be excellent. And the the image of the suitcase in Hackney would probably yeah. go down wonders, to be honest. Oh, I, let's let's get let's get Troy an MBE. It's a good idea. Football Weekly could achieve that. Um, I I don't know. I. I, I think they're completely ridiculous. I don't know what anyone cares, but would obviously accept it because, you know, <laughs> might get me some more voiceover work. I don't know. 
you're allowed to say it's ridiculous but then if you get one you you say you're accepting it because it would make your parents want you to you know make <laughs> right your parents yeah want. yeah yeah okay that's whereas that's... i just won't accept one for the stop <laughs> i'm unlikely to be offered one so it's quite moot the big question is is when, where you, whether you put the mb or ob or cb on your on your business cards at the end you know at the end to show off yeah well I, this is might be apocryphal and so apologies to mark hughes if not I, someone someone said at a qpr he asked to have mark hughes mbe wrote written down for his car park space not oh, like mark park hughes wasn't wow. enough oh yeah wow. i know like like you know i mean having a car park space is you know it's good enough isn't it to put mbe on it that i don't know so, so anyway. what did mark hughes receive one for um, um, must be volleys, services right? To, volleys? To volleys. <laughs> <laughs> so you can see why Sol Campbell has a little yeah. bit of a point in regards to what he's done in the game from the playing side of things. I, I think he does, definitely. Yeah. And also, sorry, I was going to mention the Lionesses because obviously there was a bit of Ferrari yeah. last week, wasn't there? Only four of them were, were selected. And, and all this, always remember Paul Collingwood getting an MBE in the Ashes for getting 10. Uh, in one test match <laughs> I think that's across two innings as well so average of five wow so yeah just because wow. we beat Australia which was an amazing achievement at the time but you know compared to the Lionesses or to even you know to Sol Campbell's career I agree um, Dan says can we please have 10 minutes on Cambridge's visit to Hillsborough no and that'll do for today's podcast <laughs> thank you what was the score we lost 5-0 to be fair we lost 6-0 the year before so if we keep going at this rate We'll get a point in what, 2029 or something? I don't know. Anyway, yeah, with a little bit of bother, I believe in Mark Bonner. Uh, that'll do for today's podcast. Ed, thank you so much. Cheers, Max. Thank you, Barry. Thanks. Thanks, Troy. Thanks for having me, Max. Cheers. It's a pleasure. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Max Sands. This is The Guardian.